Anne was desperate not to talk to young John. Suppose he made a formal proposal. What could she say? But she had no choice. For her father had told her to come with him, and overt disobedience in front of everyone could only lead to harsh punishment. She curtsied to young John, and he bowed slightly in return. He had not done this when they had met in the great chamber, and the implication that she was now grown up and ready for marriage filled her with trepidation. Well met once again, Mistress Anne. May I inquire, how fares it with the ape that I gave you last time we met? Anne was relieved. At least here was something she could talk about that avoided betrothals and marriage. My lord, he fares well and has settled into Athelhampton. I must repeat my thanks for your kind and generous gift. That's well, and I hope that I may see him later, for he is a likeable creature, and he and I struck up some kind of acquaintance in the brief time before I brought him to you. And now, uh, Mistress Anne, may we turn to more important matters? This is a happy day, with the third of your sisters betrothed. Do your thoughts now turn in the same direction? Anne urged herself to think quickly. If she refused outright to have young John as husband, her father had the power to overrule her. When she was almost there, she saw Lizzie coming across the yard with her basket. Lizzie! she called out, hoping to make things up once and for all, even if it meant being seriously late for the lesson. The maidservant gave a grimace and went into the laundry, clearly not wanting to talk. Anne watched her disappear, and then squatted down and tied a knot in the corner of her apron. That will stay there until Lizzie is my friend again, she said to Endy. On the other side of the gate, the friar was waiting, with a cloak drawn over his habit, for the morning was as chill as it was sunny. Just because we work outside does not mean you can loiter, he said. And now that we are starting... Half an hour late, we will finish half an hour late. Anne was relieved that the friar was not imposing a worse punishment and was pleased when he added, looking at the broken pan, but at least I see that you have come properly equipped. He led her along the path to the kitchen garden. Anne caught faint scents of thyme and rosemary as she entered this special garden, which she didn't come to very often. She looked around with interest at the herbs, fruits and vegetables in four large neat squares divided by paths that led to the centre where stood a sundial. Now, please tell me the time, said the friar, and for good measure, tell me the name of the metal bar angled in the middle. Anne, happy to have a question she could answer easily, said, Why, the shadow is just past halfway between nine and ten, and of course, everyone knows that in this part of Dorsetshire we must add ten minutes to the reading, so tis almost quarter before ten. Feeling proud of herself, she added, and the metal bar is a gnomon. She turned away quickly from the forbidden zone and... Remembering that there were people in the cellar, she instead hurried quickly through the door and gave a direct route back to the great hall. In this larger space, she felt almost safe. Why should anyone notice one more boy going about his work? 
Pretending to start moving a box, she saw Captain Haynes and Sir Richard appearing from behind her and, recognising their voices as though she had heard a moment before, she thought, The smugglers use the great chamber. It is clever, for people need permission to enter, but there must be a secret place in there to hide the contraband. She lurked in the shadows and listened to their conversation. We had a good clearer landing, I think ye, Sir Richard. Aye, while I'm sheriff, ye have nothing to fear from the law. An extraordinary and dangerous idea came into Anne's mind. Inspired by the time that her brother tricked the horrible Walter, who gave away one of his master's schemes after Christopher muttered something about the river to him as they drank together in the tavern. Afterwards, he told her, If you show someone half the truth, they often supply the rest. Grandma's latest letter gave her half the story. Now she had to see whether she could get the two men to finish the tale. Trying to sound like a boy and be just loud enough for them to hear, she spoke, Yet you couldn't save court. She ducked down below a pile of boxes as Sir Richard cried angrily, Who said that? Now Haynes was laughing. <laughs> Someone knows you tangled a bit too close with court. Our good queen has still not forgiven you. Don't ye dare speak of it again. If you want me to keep me riders abed when ye lands a cargo. Anne wanted to shout across to Endy. Here is a break in Sir Richard's armour. Sir Nicholas came out of the shadows and joined the captain and the sheriff. Anne pulled her cap down closer over her head, since he was the person most likely to recognise her in the murk. Now that he was here and so close, she decided that, having learned what she needed, she should leave at once. But as she turned to head for the sanctuary of the screen's passage at the opposite end of the hall, there came a great crash right beside her. All three men turned to look in her direction, and she felt her palms go moist as she thought herself found out. Then she realised their attention had been caught not by her, but by a boy nearby who had slipped and dropped the bottle he was holding. Captain Haynes struck the boy a harsh blow across the back of his head, and he lost balance and fell to the floor, cracking his arm on the stone flags. Anne heard the captain swear quietly, and speaking low, say, Think yourself lucky, my lad. On board ship, you would have been tied to the mast and given twenty lashes for less. The boy, nursing his arm, suddenly pointed directly at her and said in a loud whisper, That was unfair. It was him that knocked into me and made me trip. All the adults turned to look at her and she could almost feel the pain across her hands, for if they find out that she was no boy but the young lady of the house, she would be beaten long and hard for sure. Spying on the smuggling must be at least as bad as sneaking into her father's chamber. She imagined Sir Richard's grin as he watched the little girl who had been so bold at dinner being punished. Grab him, someone shouted and she raced across the middle of the hall, trying not to fall over the boxes as all the boys converged on her and thinking desperately what she should do. If they did not catch her in the hall, they would see her racing up to her room and know who she was. 
especially if they saw Endy. She was almost at the door in the passageway and could hear the breath of her pursuers barely a pace behind her when she remembered what the captain had told her about the words Endy had learned. Douse! Douse! she cried, trying to make her voice sound like a boy's. Invisible in the shadows to anyone looking, two hairy hands emerged from behind a box and she saw them descend on the two feeble flames. As though by magic, the rushlights were extinguished and the great hall was plunged into darkness. Behind her, she heard curses and cries as the boys fell over one another and crashed into the boxes. She felt Endy's hand slip into hers and they raced as quietly as possible up the stairs. She guessed that she could move more quickly through these familiar surroundings in the darkness than her pursuers.